0: So uh, heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now it's interesting, uh, this word heritage of the servants of the Lord, we see this in, uh, quoted in Isaiah. And so when we say the word heritage, first of all, we're not talking about inheritance. We're talking about three words, the reality of possession. In other words, this is yours, according to the scripture. this is yours. this is your reality, right? Inheritance would mean I have to wait till I get something. Reality of possession means you can believe this right now and receive it right now. And the stuff's pretty good, especially as we read through Isaiah and these chapters, 54, 53, 55, right in there. So everyone who believes in Jesus and what he did for them on the cross receives a, marvelage, marvelage, <laughs> a marvelous heritage. Your maker is also your savior, your intercessor, and your marriage partner, which sounds weird. You're married to God. We are the bride of Christ, right? Your maker is your savior, your intercessor, and God has all these things. Your marriage partner, and you inherit the amazing promises in Isaiah 53, 10 to 12, Isaiah 54, especially in this middle part of Isaiah. It's incredible, the promises. It's forecasting in advance what Jesus was about to do and then offer for his church as a result of what he did. And so I love these passages so much. They're so powerful. So we start in Isaiah 53, 10 to 12 to help us understand what qualifies us to be in this place. It was the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. And we're prophesying now out of Isaiah, looking forward to the cross. He's actually prophesying all of this stuff that was about to happen with the Messiah hundreds of years before. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. So he's prophesying what happened to Jesus right here. He's fulfilling. Jesus fulfilled these scriptures that I'm reading. Not only the scriptures about his suffering, but also what I want you to get is the scriptures about what happened because of his suffering and his resurrection. So that kind of makes it really cool. He's laying it out in advance, what you can expect from this Messiah. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And, make, and, through, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will sin, see his offspring and prolong his days. That offspring would be you and I. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In other words, what he did, for, because of what he did, uh, these things that the Bible talks about will actually happen. And they will be from his hand, from his sacrifice, from the Father's good will through what he did through the Holy Spirit of God who operates, uh, representing both the Father and the Son. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, prophesying that he would die and then resurrect, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many... And made intercession for the transgressors and is still making intercession for the transgressors. He still prays for us. He prays. He helps us even to pray. He's still standing. His sacrifice is still standing, puts us in good stead with God. The blood of Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, giving us the ultimate access to God. So you could make that a poem, you could say it, Well, what beautiful words. This was a hideous and horrible death. Prophesied through the scriptures. The disciples maybe knew some of these scriptures, maybe they didn't, but even if they knew them, I don't think that they would ever imagine that this was in the mix, especially after the glory and all the things that they were seeing, right? So I want to just read through Isaiah chapter 54. It's about us. And as I read through these passages, I'm hoping today you'll just grab a hold of the meaning of them for your own personal life. Not just a theology for the church, not just a theology for for the Jews, for the past, but a powerful understanding of who Jesus is, what the Father is about, in sending Jesus. And prophesying in advance what then was to become a reality, not only for the church then, but also for all of us, especially on the other side of these events that we've just talked about with Jesus coming and resurrecting. So look at... Isaiah 54, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So that means whatever you're desolate in, whatever you're weak in, whatever you haven't received of the promise of God, God has more for you, not less. Even if it feels like you're absolutely desolate in that particular area. Well, you need healing or you need something else. And so we are this woman. We are this bride. We are the bride of Jesus. We are the one who has a husband whose name is Jesus. Listen to this. This is always the case. This is always in God's will. This is being prophesied. Not only was it prophesied that Jesus would come and die this hideous death, but also it's prophesied that this would be the result of it. And here it is. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch, stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Some people don't understand my penchant for increase. I'm never satisfied. You know why? Because right there, that word, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, <clears throat> is a permanent word for me. It means I can never let us decrease. I can always, I need to put my foot on the <clears throat> accelerator <clears throat> for increase, not only for me, but for all of you. You get that? Let me just read that again. Enlarge the place of your tent. It speaks of expansion. It speaks of growth. I never want to stop growing. I hope I'm here at 90, pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. Let's go buy this. Let's go build that. Let's go do this. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Move, move, move. Is that because I'm ambitious? I hope so. But in the right way. Because God's ambitious. This is one thing I've learned. Not only just for like my ministry or for the people of God generally, for your life. That's right. Boy, I tell you, you get a hold of this one. This is, now remember, this is right on the tail of the suffering servant. So what we're talking about is now what the barren woman, the suffering servant, did for the barren woman, which would be us, right? And so enlarging, growing, increase is always in place. Always you're 89 and a half. It's always in place. My grandmother demonstrated to me. She showed me about this in a wheelchair for years. And she was visiting the hospitals. She was praying for people. We couldn't go to a restaurant without her witnessing some. Before I knew it, where'd grandma go? She was wheeled off somewhere. Where'd she go? Where'd she go? We thought maybe she, you know, fell down the steps or she's over there in the corner praying for the waitress who is weeping. Because my grandmother understood, she was alive. She was on fire. She had something to give. She had this bowl full of compassion on the inside of us. And so she used her mouth. And I mean, uh, I've told you this story before, but one of those astounding stories ever happened with her, and she's just my example, and I'm going on a rabbit tail. I know, darn. Lord, have mercy on me on the rabbit trails, please. But when I think of enlargement, and I think of a woman in her wheelchair, it's just so incre- incredible. She, and she, it says... In the joy of increase. So she had so much joy uh, as well. And uh, she heard, maybe I've told this story, but it's just so cool. She heard that she was like in a really old and she heard there was a lady in town that was having her 100th birthday. Sure, she thought to herself, you know, I bet all of her relatives are dead. So I'm just going to wheel up to that hospital. I'm going to go see that woman who's in the ho- She was in the hospital and I'm going to talk to her, right? Well, sure enough, it was exactly right. She became that woman... For the next several years of her life, she lived until like, she was like 105 or something. And she was her main friend. And she was praying for her and witnessing to her and, and helping her, you know. And, and that was her assignment. That was one of her assignments. Enlargement. She, she could have just, you know, she was ill in her own body. She was confined to a wheelchair. Yet she understood, enlarge the place of your tent. To stretch your curtains wide. Do not hold back. Strengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. That's why there will always be a building project here. There will always be something moving forward. If not here, then then it's in the nations. Right? There's always something going. Because this is just the way God is. And He puts these ideas in you. So what I do is I just try to pay attention to all the ideas. For you will spread out to the right and the left. This is verse 3. Your descendants will dispossess nations. Oh, man. This is really good. Your descendants will dispossess nations. We, dispossessed nations, the national authorities, the powers and principalities that have kept the world in bondage, we're dispossessing them. We're moving them along. We're pushing them out by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 30,000 churches in India that we're a part of now. When we started, there were 400. And those were little house churches, and now there's 30,000, and it's moving in a place that everybody thought was desolate. In areas of India where we thought nothing could grow. Nothing would ever come to Christ. No movement would ever happen, especially in the far northern areas, in all the areas, especially amongst the Muslims, especially amongst the Muslims. Oh, my gosh. Dispossessing nations, dispossessing the way they thought, the principalities and powers that have held them in bondage for year after year after year. This is the great end-breaking. This is the great time. And this gospel of the kingdom we preach in the whole world, then the end comes. The gospel preached in the world uh, uh, is right upon us. We are in that season. There has never been a season like this. There has never been a season of enlargement of the church like right now. And you're living in it. It's really important to pay attention to this because what comes after that? Jesus comes back. So when you hear the Lord invading Muslim countries, invading areas of the world that have been shut down for 2,000 years, and all of a sudden they're opening, look up, because things are... You should—I tell you, this is one of the things my great excitement about the nations and why I've continued this all my life. You know, since I was a young man till now, Uh, because of—we're living in a very interesting time. uh, Because of this increase, this change, things have never been seen before, never even envisioned, ever thought possible, are now possible. Doesn't matter the people group or the place. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. I just say that over you. Do not fear disgrace in your job, in your work, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Do not fear disgrace. You are special where you work, what you do, where you live. You're special. And if that disgrace comes or something looks like it's coming, just ask for double for your trouble. Amen. <laughs> That's another thing in Isaiah. Even what looks like disgrace in the beginning. For the believer always turns out for the good. We got this clause in our contract. God causes all things to work together for good for them that love the Lord to call according to his purpose. Amen. You will forget the shame of your youth. And remember no more the reproach of your widowhood whatever you've lost, whatever has happened to you that's been serious or stolen from you or taken, whether it was a loved one or or, or something else. For your maker is your husband. Wow. And if he's a good husband, right, he's always a good husband. He's also your maker. That's a pretty unique combination there. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of God of all the earth. Your husband, you're married to, the God, of all the earth. That kind of, gives you a little perspective, doesn't it? Well we just thank you, for these passages of scripture. The God who made you, loves you, and calls you back to him. The Lord will call you back, as if you're distressed, or deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandon you. Sometimes that's the case, it feels like God abandons us, that he's gone somehow, or, he just isn't paying attention or whatever. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. It's the compassion of God that keeps bringing him back. Sometimes I think we, we especially in a church like ours, we're always believing for miracles. We, we think of the miracles, and then we sort of weigh whether a miracle happened or not. But it's the, what we have to understand is the compassion never stops. You see, he's got deep compassion. He's always bringing us back to grace, always. Not just any kind of compassion, Okay, you talked me into it. Okay, finally, you twisted my arm. No, with deep compassion. He has a deep compassion for your life. We know it because he sent his own son and let him die, shed blood, crucified, let men torment him for your well-being. That's the ultimate reason why you know. But his spirit bears witness of this. Your ultimate well-being is in mind, no matter what circumstance you're going in. Sometimes the circumstances can be so horrific and horrendous you can't imagine how God could be in this. But God will never leave you or forsake you. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I'll bring you back. The Father abandoned His own Son on the cross who did nothing wrong, shedding blood, who can in an instant climb off of that cross any time He wanted. He allowed it to happen because of the people sitting here, because He wanted you to come back. He wanted you to be His children. And He could only buy you with His blood. He could only have you through sacrifice. It had to be the atoning sacrifice. There was only one thing that would cover you and give you access to such increase, right? What a beautiful section of Scripture. For a brief moment I have bound you with deep compassion. I'll bring you back. In a surge of anger, I I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Everlasting kindness. Kindness that never gives up, that never runs out. Everlasting kindness. What a beautiful section of Scripture. I love these verses so much. The God who made you, loves you, and calls you back to Him. Sin disconnects the very ones made in in God's image. That's in verse 7 there. But God wants to bring us back with deep compassion, not just any kind of compassion, and with everlasting kindness. Kindness that lasts forever and ever and ever. Not just a little kindness, but for your eternity with Him. Always, always. Not only in this life, but also in the light to come. In the life to come. I love Romans chapter 8. Verses. uh, Let me just read these verses. I'm getting there a little bit early, but I just want to read them now. Uh, Because this is the New Testament side of all of it. And um, I have it deeper in my notes here. But I just want to read these verses. What then shall we say in response to these things? I mean, I'm saying some pretty profound things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Pretty simple. I don't know why. Even through all these years of knowing the Lord, it's so easy for me to forget that God's for me. I just... Something can happen in a moment's time. I just get sideways, you know. One thing happens, you know. I lose something, a car accident, something happens, and then all of a sudden everything's gone. God's bad. God doesn't love me anymore, whatever, right? So we have to stand on these scriptures, which always are true. Standing on the scriptures is our life. It's the only way we know the truth, and it's the only way we can receive supernatural things. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God puts us in plenty of positions to have to believe, doesn't he? Yeah. Starting first with just believing that you need a Savior, that you actually need to be saved, that you actually need to may say, Jesus, I want you. And put the ring on your finger and say, I want to walk with Jesus. The ring on your finger is sort of like baptism. We just sort of do that. We consummate that with a baptism. That's uh, telling everybody, you know, I'm putting the ring on. Here's the wedding ceremony. I'm walking with Jesus. It's why it's such a precious thing and a powerful thing. Just like a wedding is. A transition. The salvation thing is a transition. And baptism is sort of like the ring, but the marriage has been made by your faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save you. It just is that symbol of what you've done on the inside, an outer symbol. It's so powerful, right? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Wow. Wow. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He's not saying that we don't have problems. He's just saying, here's the reality. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You mean you can conquer while you're in this place? Yes. On the inside, you can conquer, which makes its way eventually to the outside. And you have a calling and you have a reason for living, no matter what the disability, no matter what the problem. For I am convinced... That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the New Testament equivalent to what we just read in Isaiah chapter 54. Sin disconnects the very ones made in God's image, Isaiah 54, 7. But God wants to bring us back, and I love this, with deep compassion. I, I like that word, with compassion. Deep compassion. Deep compassion. Not just any kind of compassion, but with deep compassion. I will have compassion on you, he says. I, I just love these verses. I could just live in them all the time. And everlasting kindness. These are, these are beautiful uh, words, aren't they? I will have compassion on you. the best news anyone ever has heard. We need to hear it continually, though, to receive to receive this promise, especially in the rigors of everyday life. I don't worry so much about the big events in my life. I worry more about the rigors of everyday life. Every once in a while, we have to face a very, very difficult problem, right? But you know where we lose it most of all is in the everydayness of life, in the rigors of everyday having to face maybe some problems and, and see them slowly dissipate. Uh, everyday having to deal with the detail of this and that. And now we live fairly complicated Lives anyway, don't we? Uh, I think, especially maybe, I don't know, maybe there's no one that's ever lived um, the kind of complicated lives we have simply because I think there's more access to news, more awareness. So like you can just like feed on a whole hour of bad news anytime you want or two hours or three hours. I mean, you have to be careful how you feast on that. So I read and watch the news and all that kind of thing, but I just try to read it with a sanctified mind. God, you're in control. There's something here. Of course, they make news by making it sound as absolutely uh, bad as possible, right? But who wants to watch a boring anything, right? But for us, we have to take all of this news in a different place, in a different arena. First of all, we have this axis, the king of kings, and that little thing called prayer actually moves things and rearranges things. What a whole bunch of people are doing that. You see, these attitudes I'm talking about, if they infect a whole bunch of people who actually believe these things, then they began to pray them. And when a whole bunch of people begin to pray them, the heavens begin to move. That's why it's so important as the church today we understand our heritage as the servants of the Lord, individually and corporately. So we don't just give up on our government. We don't just give up on the bad news that we've heard, economically or whatever, or the, the foolishness that's going on in circles above us. We have someone above them that we can access. This is why the dumbest thing in the world is to get rid of Christians or to mute Christians. <laughs> we have access to the boss, <laughs> right? Yeah. And some Christians don't act like that, yeah. you know? you don't act like that. So I just think that we should be active, like, in our government affairs, but with a bit of wisdom and a bit of inspiration, right? And the, a, bit, a bit of understanding that there's something above all authorities. No matter who's in authority, where, any form of government, local or extra local, there's one above them, and we're actually connected, right? So I think, wow, if I could just be connected, if I just knew this, or I just knew that person, or that. There's always one above. You can get to him any day, any time of the night or day. You can bow your head, and humility seems to help, and then ask him for help in the time of need, right? This is what we're talking about here. It's part of the heritage. Roman numeral 2. Jesus received the judgment we deserved and made it possible for us to receive incredible blessing. And I've already read Romans 8, 31 to 39. And uh, Isaiah 54, 11 to 17, all those verses I read declare amazing grace for all who receive Jesus. This is the very heritage of the servants. Of the Lord. Now, that's similar to inheritance, but I want you to remember it's called, heritage literally from the Hebrew means the reality of what you possess. You understand? So even when we pray for healing for each other, we're praying for the reality of what we possess. That's a very powerful thing, very powerful concept. That's what the blood of Jesus gave us access to. It gave us access not only to a judicial system, but to a person to the Father God. It gave us access to heaven. And these promises that we see in Isaiah chapter 54 as a result of all this access are just some of the most beautiful promises. I, I, I just en- encourage you just to find your way into uh, uh, Isaiah 54 and understand that all these promises uh, are for us, right? Here, Let me just look at these. I want to just read a few of these. They're just so amazing. I'm just going to read through a few of them verse by verse here. In Isaiah 55, 54, listen to this. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. Amen. How many of your children? All. That's your promise. But the wording is even greater. Peace is the word shalom. It's not that they just come into a relationship with God, but their whole life. Shalom is a big word. It covers your health. It covers your finances, your well-being, Great will be their well-being. What good does it do to have a bag of money and three divorces? Amen. What good is it to have a bag of money and be sick and ill, right? Great will be their well-being. Harmony in the relationships. Harmony between sons and daughters. Harmony between mothers and fathers. And, uh, harmony in the marriage. Great will be that all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. Oh, I love that verse. Verse 14, in righteousness you will be established, tyranny will be far from you, you will have nothing to fear, terror will be far removed. This is your inheritance. This is an Old Testament rendition of a New Testament inheritance made more real than ever because of the blood of Jesus Christ who went before you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are all forms of condemnation that we're reading. All the things that could be attacks, and uh, all of the things that we're enumerating here, right? All things were together for good for them to love the Lord and are called according to His purpose because you are in righteousness. You are in right standing. Where did the righteousness come from? It came from Jesus who gave it to you because you confessed Him as your Lord and Savior and then you became righteous along with Him. And if you make a mistake, you just agree with him and say, God, I just don't like... You know, confession isn't just like a clause that covers your all wrongdoing and you can sweep it under the rug. Confession is this identity with Jesus. Jesus, I agree with you. I hate that. I don't want to do that. I'm so sorry for that. I agree it was wrong. Thank you for forgiving me, right? That's the place you come because, you see, you're God's kid. You Actually, not just children. Sometimes that messes us up because maybe some of us didn't have such a great father or mother. You have a great father. Father, a great loving father, mother. God loves you. All my children will be taught by the Lord. Great will be their shalom. Righteousness shall be established. And tyranny will be far from you. That's why the church has a really hard time with the politics of the day. And with people, of dictators in other parts of the world, and bullies, and people that commit crime and do things. Tyranny will be far from you. This is not our inheritance. This is not what we do. We pray the opposite. We go the opposite direction. And for us, even in the midst of great tyranny and trouble, guess what? You will have nothing to fear. Amen. That's the one thing. And all your surmisings or worries about government affairs or world affairs, this fear thing is something that I hate. I hate when people talk, but they talk from the vantage point of fear. If you're going to talk about these events and how bad they are, just remember that you're part of the answer and you don't have to fear like everybody. But you know why? Because because of the cross, tyranny, because of Jesus, will be far from you. It might be around the corner, but it won't touch you. You have the ability in prayer to walk in that kind of lifestyle. That's why you may have to walk through a few valleys of the shadow of death, but you know what? It won't hurt you. You have nothing to fear. You have an escape clause in your contract. <laughs> Even if you die, if you go to be with God forever and ever and ever. And all your children, everybody else is going to come too. Terror will be far removed. But I'm telling you what, if there ever was a, a time for brave people, it's now. It's now. You don't have to wait till you die and be confident. You don't have to wait and be confident in your death only. Listen, you will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. This is why people had such a hard time during the COVID crisis. With us as believers, we just weren't so upset as everybody else. We weren't. We just. It has to be that way. That's just the way we're wired. We don't have the alarm buttons that you do. I am sorry if I do not go and panic and freak out and close the church down for nine months and fear that somebody's going to catch the flu. I'm sorry i just not wired that way. I'm not afraid like you. And if I should die, I'm going straight to be with my Father in heaven. I'm going to see my mom and my dad and all my brothers, everybody. I'm okay now. And I will be okay then. Sometimes people, in the name of righteousness, mask utter terror in their heart. I don't like that either. Righteousness for God. Gonna do this, that, but they're absolutely terrified on the inside. So they're gonna take things in their own hands and they're gonna do this thing, you know. So that's another side of it, right? They look like they're brave, but they're not. They're terrified. And they're terrified that actually if we don't take things in hand, that God doesn't have a better solution. Well, sometimes we have to take things in hand and sometimes we just have to watch it play out. So walking with God will teach you which one you're supposed to do at the right time, right? That's why during the COVID thing was such an extra, thi- well, probably still is COVID thing, so such an exercise in faith. Sometimes you got to say no, and sometimes you got to go, hmm, I think I'll do that. <laughs> right? You're in trouble. The whole country's in trouble. So you have to walk to the beat of a different drummer. You just do what he says in the moment. Hundreds of different decisions about your life and about your job and everything. You just do what's then, right? And Then you do leave tomorrow for tomorrow. You just Respond today, right? And everybody wants a plan. Everybody wants a big thing, everybody wants it all figured out. God doesn't let you figure it out. Here's the scariest scripture in all of scripture. But my righteous one will live by faith. And the very promises I'm telling you about. And believe me, that is a step by step process. No, God, I want you to figure it all. We got prophets. Prophesy. Prophesy something good. <laughs> well, sometimes maybe prophecy goes dark. Frankly, we've been through a season where we didn't know what the heck was going on. We still don't, actually. Weird stuff. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. <laughs> Anybody see that movie? <laughs> about half of you laugh. The other half, what the heck's he talking about? Hey, never mind. I'm not going to explain it. Listen to these, Listen to these verses. Let's go move on. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Anybody have a job where people attack you? If you know Jesus, it's not his doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. Yeah, my God. What did you think about that for a moment? Whoever attacks me will surrender to me. In other words, as long as I'm not guilty of something, if I'm not acting like the devil... Walking with God, whoever attacks you will ultimately surrender you. They might as well just put it on their watch. Well, I'm going to have to surrender to this guy pretty soon. <laughs> Why? Because it's the heritage of the servants of the Lord, right? Yeah. Oh, my. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. I know all about darkness. I know all about using these evil things for my purposes. I know all about what the devil does. But you know what I do? I, I, I turn it. I turn it. That's me. Me. I've created the destroyer to wreak havoc. I know. I created that guy. I created that destroyer. He wasn't supposed to be the destroyer. He chose the other way. But I know all about him. And now I'm using him for my amazing purposes. And you know what? I sent my son to die in your stead because of this destroyer. And he doesn't isn't a destroyer. He's the other guy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. But the thief, the destroyer, comes only to do three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. Right? But look at this verse 17. It gets even better. No weapon forged against you will prevail. You'll refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage. This is the reality of possession of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. It may take a while, it may take a few days, it may take a few months, it may take even a couple of years, but no weapon forged against you will prevail. You are in a unique place. All things work together for good, for then the love of the Lord are called according to His purpose. No weapon forged against you will ultimately prevail. No matter what tongues are wagging against you, no matter what's happening, it will not prevail. My heritage, my reality of possession, this is what I get. I get vindication. and I get it from the head guy, not the president. Not the Congress. I get it from Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. And then as I read from these passages in Romans 8:31 to 39, one of the greatest things in those passages is nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. He did not spare his own son, but graciously gave us all things, including his son, made us more than conquerors. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Aren't you glad? And so as we see, turning to Isaiah chapter 55, there's a response. There's always a response. There's promises and then there's the response. It's so important to know that we have a response. So all of these promises, all these things, it's important that we respond to them in faith. And so that's the great adventure of life, responding to crises, responding to things in faith. God all has us, all of us, on wisdom paths, on faith paths things that we're walking out individually in your life. My wisdom path, my faith path that I have to follow is not the same as yours. All of us are on those pathways. All of us have challenges. All of us have a devil that's trying trying to steal and kill and destroy from us, right? All of us. The question is how we're going to respond, right? And so Jesus is telling us you can respond in faith. And he tells us, come. And when you get worn out and you get tired, Isaiah 55, come to all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. As a matter of fact, I think church is like that. I think church is one aspect of coming to the waters. Reading my Bible all the time is another one. If I read my Bible as just a bunch of discipline and, and you know, and ought to's and things, I read my Bible to get direction every day. I read my Bible to take every single promise that has anything to do with my welfare and I take it, I pray it back, I declare it over my life, right? That's, that's how you come to the waters, You have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? That's a good question. And your labor on what does not satisfy. Come in Isaiah 55, 1 means there's a faith-filled response that needs to be made. You will not ever get away from that. The Bible says, My righteous one will live by faith. And... So, even when you begin with God, yet to all, this is John 1, 12, and 13, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. So, that's a nice salvation scripture that we use a lot for explaining people who first come to the Lord. But that scripture is in place all the time, right? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, one thing I've learned about kids and now grandkids, you do not have to teach them how to ask. You notice that? If you love them and produce a loving environment, they assume that they get the moon. They will go for it. It doesn't stop. I thought maybe it would stop at 10 or 11. No. It doesn't stop at 15. No. It doesn't stop at 18. No. It doesn't stop at 20, 30. No. It doesn't stop. Never stops. There's a song about that. It never stops. We should tell us something about our own walk with the Lord. What we see with children is such a great, great example of who we are because we're just a bunch of kids. It gets down to it, right? Galatians 3, 5. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit? This is a big one. Okay, if you were asleep, you might want to wake up right now. This one's good. This is really good. All that's been good, but this is really important. This is sort of how we navigate this thing called the kingdom. I see so many people that don't want to navigate. So it means that you've got to do this in concert with the Holy Spirit. But it's so important that you are learning to be a supernatural person. That's why I love the baptism of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. That's why I, I do my class, Life in the Spirit. That's why we do our classes, our quipping classes, our prophetic class. I, 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 Three times a year, all year long except for the summer, I'm here sitting with anybody who would like to come. New people just come right here. Come this Wednesday at 6.30. I, we have worship at 6 and 6.30. And all I do is I talk to you about how to be supernatural. I talk to you about the ways, the supernatural ways of God. People lose it so easy, especially in a secular culture which has struggled so much to cope with supernatural things on the God side. But the culture is so weird now because they have no problem with going to see uh, spooky movies and trying to get a hold of ghosts and go to you know seances and stuff like that. They have no trouble with the dark side. They just have trouble believing that there is a bright side, overcoming side, that will cast all of that into a burning hell someday and you too if you don't respond to Jesus. But the thing is, you have to learn to think in a different way and believe in a different way and do business in a different way. So whenever I tell you of a new project, a thing I want to do or a thing that I think God wants to do, you know, I've had more than one person roll their eyes in the back of their head. Haven't we done enough? Aren't we doing enough? I, no. Because the Spirit's so creative, He's always creating and doing new stuff. He just keeps challenging. Just about the time you get through one, one great project, He gives you another and another projects, all kinds of projects, little ones and big ones, sons and daughter projects, projects at your job. We're on one big project, one big faith move, one big creation move coming out of us and into the world. I'll explain it this way. Galatians 3, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law because you were a really good person, because you obeyed succinctly and did everything just right? Well, God wants you to do right. Right? and be honest, and truthful, and all that. But look at this. Does he work miracles by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? What he means is, how does he move on your behalf? By believing the promises of God, what he says about you. So I've been telling you a whole bunch of things he thinks about you, right? The heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is your heritage, right? So again, I ask, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law because you were good or because you obeyed or lined to everything, or what? By your believing what you heard. Sometimes Christians have a hard time because they actually have enough faith to believe to be righteous and not to get into evil, but they don't have enough uh, faith to believe to do the impossible. We were made to do the impossible. We're made to pray for the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cause whole new ways of looking at education, and government and all the other things we were made to stir we were made to create we were made to bring God's authority on the earth that's why I have no qualms about a school when they screwed up in the schools we step in and they're still messing up so we're going all the way to the university level all the way (laughs) huh Scott Easier said than done. The accreditation part's all done. All the way to the master's. So we're inheriting something. Which is really weird. But, you know, a miracle needs to happen. We can't just say, oh my gosh, these corrupt colleges, what are we going to do? Well, we have to either find colleges that are working that aren't that way, or we got to create our own. But one way or another... We have to have alternate ways of doing things. And our ways are better anyway. We're smarter than the world. They get, just about the time they get successful, they screw it up by letting the devil in here or there, and then he steals all their possessions, and on it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. We're different. We're the most trustworthy people in the world. We're also the most creative people in the world. We get creative ideas, we get creative thoughts. We have great authority because we have access to the king. So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit to work miracles among you by the works of the law? Because you were really good and you're just, well, you know, or, or because what? You believed what you heard because your goodness sometimes goes this way and that way. Then you have, that's why you have to confess our sins, right? But this promise of believing what you heard, of moving on, even when in spite of your uh, shortcomings and despite your failings and despite your weakness... Believing and trusting. This is where all the action is. But it's a raw thing. It's a very dangerous thing, believing what you heard. I think I heard a God about a lot of things. Most of you didn't believe half of what I thought I heard. And Now we're going to the other half. It's going to be hard to believe I heard about that too. But I think we have hearing, not just me, but others. Prophetic people, other people are telling me. So I listen to what I hear. But I know it won't happen unless I... i got to take a step out there. and think I'm going... Always... It's not just me or the church or somebody you look at, some prophetic person out there. It's your life, your business. That's why I love to pray and do things with business people. Especially ones that own their own business and wondering about expanding or have to grow or and it's up, you know, and all of that thing. So they have to get a hold of the promises of God and believe what they heard. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Lord, I want to ask you in Jesus' name, Abraham. Oh, what a nice father Abraham he was. Wow, what a great man of God. I want to be just like Abraham. Do you really want to be like Abraham? How about the part where you bring your knife down on your own son? And all the way, and halfway through God says, "Wait a minute, Did't mean that after all. Oh Do you imagine what he was thinking about? I, you know what I think I think he I think he put that knife down. He just sort of walked around like this a little bit. <laughs> now, what our vision of is he threw down the knife and went, Oh, of course, Lord. I knew you were going to come all along. Thank you very much for intervening. Life's not like that. So this scripture here, like miracles by the word. Miracles are hard sometimes. They're scary. Miracle means one word. R-I-S-K. That's what miracle means. Well, I didn't know it meant that. I don't think I want to be that. I mean, no. It sounds so nice. Does God give you? He gave me a spirit. I got the spirit. Work miracles among you by the works of the Lord, by, by believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God and was credited him as righteousness. To the very end, he believed it, even when God told him to take away what the very thing that seemed to be right there. Have you ever had that happen? You're believing, you're believing, you're believing, and all of a sudden, just as you're about to get it, or just as you are prepared and everything, all of a sudden, it's just snatched away and it's gone. You have to look no farther than your Bible to see other people went through that. The question is, did you keep believing it or not? Because God will test you on your faith to the hilt. If you want to live a life worthy of God, if you want to live a life with vision and power, if you want to have power and influence, you're going to have to live it to the hilt. And you have to take chances, and you're going to have to stick your neck out there for everything. It has everything, not just for big projects, but for your family, for your household, for your children. Life is one big R-I-S-K Does God give you a spirit, work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So there's just two things. What's God saying about that and what do you have to believe about it, right? All right. So look at an invitation to the thirsty and hungry. So we're getting through here. Embracing the uniqueness of God's ways and thoughts. Let's go back to Isaiah 55. This is something that's hard to cope with because we want to make God in our own image so much. But here's the most dangerous passage in the whole scripture: My thoughts are not, not your, path, your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. <laughs> you know, so uh, you're going to start walking with God. He's just got different thoughts and ideas. He eventually make them available to you. But wow, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are than your thoughts. The way I think about the politics of the time, the way I think about your life, the way I think about your sons and daughters, the way I think about your job, the way I think about your education, the way I think about everything about you. They're higher, but they're better. That's the important part. If they were higher and stinkier or worse, that would be bad, right? As the rain and the snow, I don't think stinker's in the Bible, but anyway. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without water in the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the harvest, sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will desire what I de- accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Wow. You will be led up. go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst forth into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. The Lord's renown is that we obey, that we step forward in peace fe- into His purposes. We hear from His mouth the word that He goes from the mouth, then we accomplish it insofar as it's dependent on us. And this is what the end of it is, that the Lord gets glorified for the Lord's renown. We are a people for the Lord's renown. In the end, it's all about Him, not about us, right? And so these are the great promises that God has in His word for us. And I just want to review one more section before we go. And... Um, I just want to say this from Isaiah 61. This is Jesus' uh, passage about Jesus, but it's about us as well. And I, I just want to read these verses, because I, I, could I just read this as our job description? And 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 I, I just want to make sure that I widen this a little bit. I'm widening this to every area of life, to all of life, right? To your world where you live, to your work, to your job, to your school, to to your marriage, to your family, to your household, all of life, okay? So we're, we're not talking churchy here. We're talking about life here, about your walk with God, God speaking to you, giving you a promise. You're pursuing that promise like the ancients, like Jesus, like the apostles, like the patriarchs, walking through. Those stories are all for us to see what it feels like to walk in a promise. And by, honestly, sometimes walking a promise can be incredibly scary and also incredibly uh, frustrating sometimes. Just when you think, thought you had it, it, it disappears. And then, and then you're supposed to keep believing and cry, moving toward it and all of it. And, and I'll tell you what, one of the most dangerous passages in the whole Bible is without faith it's impossible to please God. Oh, I love that passage. Do you really? God's not happy till you're walking in faith. And walking in faith means R-I-S-K sometimes. And that's not fun sometimes. But if you get the hang of it, you don't get so terrified. So what I'm, my, one of my goals in my life is keep risking but not get terrified. <laughs> so I kept risking but I keep getting terrified. So if I could get rid of the terrified part, I'd be very happy. I'm learning. I'm learning. Actual fear works for you because if you learn to control it, you learn that there's great energy in fear and how much you waste being afraid. You waste tremendous energy being afraid. When you can harness that energy that you took to be afraid toward the Lord, I tell you what, you can, it feels like you're on roller skates or something. You know, just, God, you love me so much that you gave me Jesus. You shed blood for me. And I'm trusting you that even if I'm making a dumb mistake or going the wrong direction, you're going to help me fix it. Because my intent is to follow you. I'm risking, I'm stepping out in faith, but my intent is to please you. If I'm not pleasing you, please tell me. I'll be glad to change my mind, I'll be glad to redirect, I'll be glad to do that, right? So, Isaiah 61, let me just read, this is your job description, I'm going to finish on this. I don't even think that's on the outline there, but anyway, I'm going to read it. Listen carefully, maybe they can dial it up, Isaiah, uh, maybe you can read along with us, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 11, I just want to read these verses, will not we all stand? This is what we do. This is what we're about. Everybody, every believer, both together with other believers and in your own world, in your own life. Whether your own world is in the light, in the arts; whether your own world is in business; whether your own world is in government; whether your own world is in medicine; whether your own world, whatever it is, whatever talents, abilities, whatever your world is—your family, your 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 household, your neighborhood your school, whatever it is. Here's your job description. The Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Certainly that's the description of Jesus, but that's your description. That's why I have this, really can't get it out of my mind. This is like Jesus' anointing. If I want to be like Jesus, I think I probably better be concerned about the poor. That's why beautiful Laguna Niguel, we go deeper and farther and farther and helping the poor. This isn't like a good, do-gooder thing. This isn't like because it's in style. This is because this is our commission. This is at the root. This is what we do. The day we stop doing that, it's the day I don't want to do this anymore. It's hard. It's difficult, but it's who we are. This is what we do Amen. to the poor, to those who don't have something whatever it is, money or health or whatever. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's our cause. You can do it anywhere, anytime, any space. You don't have to move down to downtown L.A. You don't have to move to San Francisco. You don't have to move to India, Cambodia. They're right here. Prisoners are everywhere. We get to release them. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is always the year of the Lord's favor. Even during COVID, it's the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is every year, every month, every day. And the day of vengeance of our God, that day is coming too. But there's judgment going out even now across here. To comfort all who mourn. That's what we do. We don't have to have a mercy warehouse. We get to have a mercy warehouse. This is not kind of something we do on the side. This is it. Mercy Warehouse is just one little tool that helps us do all the other stuff that we do, but it's all geared to comfort those who mourn and all the other things we do, not just that. That's why I couldn't stand it, not to have a school. Broken families, broken households, little kids that don't know Jesus is a horrible thing they know Jesus in the midst of some of their pain guess what happens? We just comforted them when they were 8 instead of when they were 18 before they got themselves in horrible trouble and provide for those who grieve in Zion. That's what we do. We provide Gosh I just thinking of all the people we're providing for right now Lord I pray for Dan right now He's fighting for his life we snatched him from the east coast and where he was living in a horrible place you know he's in the hospital now and I just pray God we grieve for him we just ask God you would give him his life back Lord bestow on him and all the rest of us a crown of beauty that's what we do instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning a garment of praise a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair we just make the world taste good that's what we do thank you Lord they will be called oaks of righteousness that's us a plan of the Lord for the display of his splendor. When we do all this thing, we become oaks of splendor. We become noticeable. People notice what's going on. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. I think I'm smart enough to figure out the homeless problem. Well, that sounds arrogant of you. No, I'm supposed to figure it out. That's my calling. I'm supposed to rebuild the ancient ruins. I'm supposed to restore places devastated. That's what I do. That's what you do. I don't want to throw my hands up. Oh God, let the government please have the mercy on the God. Help them to make the right decisions, Lord. They're not making the right decisions about our welfare. This is what we do. We rebuild this stuff. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That's what we do. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. In other words, you'll be so wealthy that other people will work for you. Oh my God. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. In a way, we're foreign ministers (laughs) wherever we go. Think about being the government. We're first in the government of God and we're second in the government of everything else. Turns out the government of God controls everything. You will feed on the wealth of nations. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is just what you're supposed to do. You business people. Don't get in it because you want to be wealthy and ruin your life. Do it because you're supposed to feed on the wealth of the nations for the other part. Rebuilding ancient ruins, restoring places long devastated. I don't think that you even have any imagination or thought that's really entered into the church of how wealthy God wants to make us. You say, oh, I love that. Really? You would love that. Well, there's a little warfare that goes along with it. That's okay. But this is your destiny. Feeding on the wealth of the nations. And on the riches you'll boast. Why? Because you're going to turn around. You're going to use it for God. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Lord, I declare over this room today, anybody that's going through a shameful, horrible process where they've lost friends, they've lost health, they've lost loved ones, Lord, I declare a double portion on you. May the shame of of the enemy be broken off of you. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. I declare a double portion over this congregation of whatever it is. Whatever has been lost, Lord, I declare double back for my trouble in Jesus' name. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations. Their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge they are a people the Lord has blessed. That's our responsibility. That's who we are. That's our identity right there. No matter what area of life you're in, no matter where you're at, all who see us will acknowledge that we are a people the Lord is blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices on my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels for as the soil makes the sprout come up and as a garden causes seeds to grow so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. That is God's will right there in the midst of the trauma and the dirtiness and the nastiness the sovereign Lord is making righteousness and praise spring up before the nations because as it springs up it is so different than the world that everybody will notice and that's what I want to be I want to be a city on the hill in every area of life I want people to notice that we're different that we approach problems different that we actually solve problems we actually have a lifestyle that you can do whether it's in the education area whether it's in your business or your job or whatever Lord we want to be that kind of people in Jesus name no, you know, I just think that uh, as I finish today, that today we just always like in response to whatever we give for people to respond and just have a moment as we're worshiping just to say, God, let that sunk in, please. Please talk to me more. He got my interest. Please talk to me more. And I believe that also... <clears throat> There's some inheritance that are waiting for people this very day for healing and for restoration in their own life just by a prayer from another saint. If I could have the ministry team come up really quickly here today. We want to pray for you. I want to ask God to make this some supernatural transactions here today. So there's a bunch of us that will be up the front, and I just encourage you. You can just stay in your seat and do business with God. But Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. So today, as we're here before the Lord, I pray that you take at least a moment before you walk out that door and make some transactions with the Lord. If you want to do it with one of us up in the front here, feel free to pray with one of us because we're two or three gathered together. There he is in our midst. And when you agree about there's something that happens when two agree. You could agree with your wife or your friend right next to you. But what I would do if I were you in the midst of this ministry time that we're doing, make some transactions with the Lord. Hold up what's uneasy in your life. Hold up what you've been looking for, what you're grasping. Hold up with what you heard from God during this message. And just ask him to do something. Ask him to, to move on your behalf. Uh, ask him to just commit yourself. saying, Lord, this is my heritage. I've I've been stolen from. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But you said I came with them. I'd have life and have it abundantly. Lord, I declare abundance in this area. In Jesus' name. We'll be here for you to pray for you for that very thing, whatever it is that you need. But Lord, I just declare today the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Amen.